The opinions and suggestions expressed in the following program are solely those of the participants and are not necessarily endorsed by KRMG, Cox Media Group Incorporated, or the program sponsors. The following program is sponsored by Senior Class Media. Welcome to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness. Over the next hour, we'll help you discover the exciting advances in nutrition, cooking, activity, sleep, and more. Call 918-460-5764. That's 918-460-KRMG. Or send us your open mics by using the free KRMG app. It's Sunshine Care Health and Wellness on 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. And good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness. I'm Russell Mills. Thank you very much for tuning in. The phone number, as always, 918-460-5764. 918-460-KRMG. And you can also text us at 70123. Just remember to type KRMG at the beginning of your text so that we're sure to see the message. Let's bring in our host. He is medical director for Sunshine Care Partners here in town, Dr. Donald Dono Simmons. Good morning, sir. And good morning to you, my brother. So I understand you were in town this morning, did not have to schlep down the uh, highway. You got to get uh, a ride in from uh, Mr. McMurray, and uh, you were in town for a wedding. One of my very best friends from, uh, from up in Bartlesville. He's one of my uh, one of my poke or uh, pardon me trivia players uh, that we play trivia on Tuesday nights. Um, his uh, his daughter was getting married this weekend, and very fortunately, uh, I, I got to be included in that family blessing. And uh, so we came into town Friday night. It's kind of silly to go, go go get a hotel room and 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 stay in town when I'm I live thirty five miles away. But it's actually pretty good to get away from town for a little bit and. Just come and uh, have have a little weekend getaway, and happen to throw in a, uh, a a wedding and reception in in all of that. So it it was it was it was a good day. Uh, enjoyed the the wedding, enjoyed the reception, and then the uh, reception actually spilled over to the uh, rooftop over at the Mayo afterwards for even another couple hours after that. Well, that's fun, and the Mayo, of course, very historic. Place I saw on Facebook, I saw where one of uh, uh, Charlie's Angels, and I can't remember which one. It wasn't Farrah Fawcett, obviously. Mm-hmm. She's no longer with us. I'm not sure if it was Jacqueline. I think it was Jacqueline Smith uh-huh. was here in town, and they posted some photos of her at the Mayo, and she's like, did you know Elvis stayed here? And I, oh, yeah. Very, very famous place. Did you Did you enjoy the, I guess, the ambiance? I, I, I did. It, it's a good... It, it, it's a nice foil against the the modern hotels that you stay in. Hmm. You know, I, I stay in them all the time, uh, and it just had a classic feel to it. You know, and here's the funny thing: it had a different smell to it. That was the one thing I noticed: is is this place just has a different smell to it. And it was it was a good thing. Interesting. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and turn the page. We've been talking about cannabis on the on senior class this morning the smell of it is one thing that we did actually come up in that discussion yes, it did. Uh, but we still had calls and we still had texted stuff that we weren't able to get to and they're kind of uh, sort of of a medical nature at least this one is somebody um texted in and said can you please discuss secondhand smoke and and why dis cigarettes when we allow this um pretty sure they don't allow that. In other words, any place you cannot smoke a cigarette, you cannot fire up a joint or bong or a pipe. True? 
That's pretty well what I've seen. So what is, but secondhand and, smoke? In fact, Do, is I, there I really study? don't think there is any sort of, I don't think there's any locations for public consumption of, of cannabis. So there's any more than alcohol or more rights to, to cigarette smoke and alcohol than there is to, to cannabis. Because I'm pretty sure that public use of cannabis is statutorily prohibited. It has to be used within the privacy of your home or your vehicle. So, have there been studies on secondhand cannabis smoke? I know that they we talk all the time about secondhand smoke from cigarettes, but and look, research on on cannabis is is scanty at best in now this that, country. That's, that's the hard part. Is there, there probably has really not been because there you know the the restrictions on the ability to do any studies has has been so difficult but here i'll throw in a term that uh if if you've been around for for longer than uh a, a couple of moments is a term that you've heard um and and this may throw a little bit of, of water or a wet blanket on some of the discussion but you ever heard the term a contact high yeah, how many, how many concerts have you ever been to or heard stories? I, I see somebody chuckling in the other room that, uh, that, that you know, a, a contact high. You, you, you go to a concert and, boy, you know it's there. Um, Rocklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> you get within 500 feet of that place and you can smell it. I, I actually got to see Tom Petty when he uh, played in Oklahoma City uh, several years ago but before he died. And it was actually classic because it, it was Tom Petty and it happened to be on the 20th of April was the day that he opened his... 420. Uh, that he opened his, his tour. And so it was 420, which I don't think could have gotten any better. I'm pretty sure Tom Petty was a uh, fairly regular user I'm of, sure he was uh, aware of what those numbers signify. Let's put it and, that way. Uh, you know, it, it, it was before the concert even started that, that you could see the, uh, you know, you could smell it and you could see the, the uh, la- layer of smoke that was forming there in, in the arena. I believe it was the Chesapeake Arena at that time. Uh, wh- whatever the current spinning wheel has landed on as to what they're going to call it. Yeah, I think that, that's what they call it. It's, it yeah, who knows? Um so I, I actually left the concert that evening uh, feeling better than I did when I went in. <laughs> All right. So, you know, I, I think some people, that, that sounds worrisome to them. It's like, well, I, I don't want to get accidentally high just because I want to go to a concert and see Tom Petty. I don't want to be, you know, exposed to something that I fear or don't understand. And so... Yeah, what, what I don't know is whether they... And, and I'm certain they probably have done some studies on it as to what's the possibility of showing up with a drug test that's positive after an experience like that. that that's what I don't know. Probably minimal, I would guess, because you're not really getting that much, right? Uh, that would be my thought. Yeah, in, interesting. All right, so... So, Texter, the, the short answer is well, we don't know if there's been much study of secondhand cannabis smoke because, frankly, this, this country hasn't spent a lot of money studying the, anything. The, the federal government has kind of prohibited very they much of that Very study. much prohibited it. All right, so we did have um, another question that came in about using cannabis possibly for treatment of some forms of dementia. Have you ever heard of that, or is that something that is, is being looked at, in, to, to your knowledge? I would think that that's something that's on the new forefront of discussion. Um, no, I've not really heard anything specifically addressing that. Um, you know, the people that come to me to, to get a recommendation, really, that, that's not been a predominant um, diagnosis that, that is, is used as a reason uh, for, for, uh, for wanting to get a recommendation. 
Um, I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure people have tried it. Uh, I'd love to hear other people's experiences and, uh, you know, wh- whether you have any, you know, at this point, that would be kind of a, what we call an anecdotal study, mm. uh, which is just somebody that's, that's tried it and, and, and it may or may not have done anything to help. I'd, I'd love to hear uh, anybody else's opinion out there. Uh, call in, text us, let, let us know. But uh, as, as far as, uh, you know, when, when it comes to, to doing research on uh, things for dementia, the, the 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 field is wide open you know the 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 number of different things that they are trying um, to, because this is one of those things that it affects every family it affects every, somebody out there everybody out there has got somebody in their life whether it's friend family somebody that they know down the street that suffers from dementia that suffers from memory loss you know and here's the thing this is a 20th and 21st century problem because our life expectancy you know, has gotten to the point where we're actually finding out what some of these issues are that give people problems later in life. You know, when the life expectancy is in the 50s or 60s, guess what? You really don't know too much about dementia because very few people were living to that point where we got to see what happens when the mind and memory starts to fail. And that has certainly turned around, um, although we saw life expectancy actually decrease during the, the uh, COVID, but not by a lot, by, by oh, no, a year or two. I think it was a year or two that it, that it did drop, and, and it, you can attribute that to the statistics of COVID. Yep, because not only did it kill people, it primarily killed elderly people. Yep. I think 90%. Uh, I, I mean, it's not even it's not even close. That was one of the primary indicators of whether COVID was likely to be fatal for you, correct? Yes. And and that's too bad, but that does sort of explain that particular you know statistic. Um, and those are the folks that were getting up there and and did not make it to 80 years old, did not make it to 85, whatever. So I think we're back at like 78, 77, 78 for men, mm-hmm. something like that, and maybe a year or two longer for, for women. Um, in any case, interesting stuff. Uh, we have another text that came in, um, says that they're, they've heard that there have been an increased number of car wrecks since, since medical um, marijuana, I presume they mean, uh, became... Uh, legal here in Oklahoma. States with recreational are even worse. I have not seen that. I'd, I'd be interested to know what your what your source is there, but it, you know, it may be true. I don't know. Uh, texting and driving while stoned, they say? Question mark? I guess they mean <laughs> is that a good idea? No! Texting while, while you're perfectly sober while driving is not a good idea, but um, and I know you're not in law enforcement, so I don't know how we how we approach that particular question, but what I guess we can I can put it this way: What sort of impairment does marijuana incur on the human body, as a, as opposed to alcohol? And we will we'll discuss that question after a quick timeout. We do need to take a break, but we will come back, text her, and talk about that question. And so stick with us. You are listening to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness on one hundred two three KRMG Tulsa's News and Talk. Welcome back to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness here on 1023 KRMG. My name's Russell Mills. We are 
at the moment still kind of talking about some of the medical benefits or perhaps detriments of, of adult use of cannabis, sort of anticipating state question 820, which uh, Oklahomans will be voting on on Tuesday. Uh, we had a texter um, ask us about um, auto crashes and do auto, don't auto crashes go up? Um, after legalization and uh, during the break we did a little research and yeah as a matter of fact they they've got a fair point so according to the insurance institute for highway safety now this is a this is an industry group that studies these things for the insurance companies all right so they 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 need to know this kind of thing because it changes how they um their rates are charged in any case they found that overall uh, traffic crash injuries rose 6.5 percent in states that legalized full adult use. Um, but it also says, and this is interesting, that the, the rate of fatalities actually decreased. And it makes this claim uh, based on the way drivers compensate with, when impaired by marijuana, as opposed to, say, alcohol. Drivers under the, I'm quoting here, drivers under the influence of marijuana slow down and maintain a larger distance between themselves and other vehicles. They may be impaired but tend to drive at lower speeds. Drivers may not be able to avoid a crash, but the crashes that occur, less likely to be deadly. What, what sort of impairment? I mean, I guess we, most of us know if you're drunk, you, you know, your balance, your vision, like everything's sort of impaired. But what's the impairment with, with cannabis? It, it, it's actually potentially very similar um, in, in, in the shortcomings yeah, you know, but one one of the major differences, and and I would encourage anybody to let me know how you feel about this. One one of the things that alcohol tends to do is it gets rid of inhibitions, um, which means we typically go faster. We typically uh, do things at a higher rate uh, when alcohol is involved, and I don't really seem to see that to the same degree uh, with with cannabis use. I, I don't really see as much of a loss of inhibition uh, with, with cannabis. And, and what you just read is, is pretty well... Uh, honestly, I was a little surprised to, to see the confirmation that, yes, there has been an increase in, um, in, in accidents that was statistically attributable to, um, to, to the legalization of marijuana. But I was not surprised to see the second corollary to that is that although there's been an increase in accidents, that the fatality or the, uh, I guess the, the severity of, of the, the lethality or severity of, of the accident has actually decreased. And, and that pretty well fits with what I know to be true. Okay, people that use cannabis, they don't drive fast. They, they don't do things out of control which is pretty well the way you would describe someone who uses alcohol in excess, is they're out of control. You know, most people that use cannabis tend to stay in control. They may, <coughs> they may have difficulties with balance or, or vision or depth perception, but they typically remain in control. And, and, and the other main difference is self-perception. You know, most people that when, when, when they're high or stoned, they know they're high and stoned, and they do things <laughs> to change the way, you know, they, they, they do slow down. They, they do use more caution than people who are uh, intoxicated by alcohol, where they, they, they've lost that inhibition, and um, they, they don't typically slow down 
and they don't typically knowingly slow down. So that's just my perception. You know, again, from talking to law enforcement, you know, I got good, I got good friends that are in law enforcement. You know, and, and their perception—they're the ones that are in, you know, in the trenches every day. You know, you ask me my opinion about COVID because I was in the trenches every day. I'm happy to answer that. You know, with asking about traffic accidents and, and marijuana, I'm not the guy to ask. You know, because I'm not in the trenches every day. But who is is law enforcement? You know, and, and and they have not seen a significant statistical increase in uh, traffic accidents because of marijuana. And you know what? The the other thing is, we need a little more time to study this because it just hasn't been legal. So correlation does not necessarily relate to causation. Are there you know? Can, can you say that again for the people in the back? Correlation does not necessarily mean causation. In other words, because two things happen simultaneously doesn't mean that one caused the other, right? Um, you know, when the the mailman comes to the door and the dog barks, is the mailman causing the dog to bark, or is the dog you know going to bark anyway at anybody who comes to the door? It's kind of a it's a kind of a vague concept, but but that question is actually the hallmark of statistical and scientific study. And, and I appreciate you bringing that into the conversation um, because there's a whole lot of things in life that look like they may be connected and correlated, but once you dig down into more of the depth of it, you find out that it just happens to be merely that. they just two things that happen at the same time that may or may not have much of a connection one way or the other. But the way the human brain works is we want to explain everything. We want to see causation because we want to draw direct lines between if this happens, that'll happen. True? We, we want to make these things called connections. And, and I know you'll know, you'll, you'll remember this. There used to be a TV show on public broadcasting that was actually called Connections. It was a fellow from, from England. And it was the most fascinating thing as somebody that loves history and trivia and, and, and such. He would start off with, with one topic and discuss that one topic and kind of its uh, manifestations, which would then lead into another topic. And he would then discuss that topic and, and go off on, onto a different rabbit hole or a different trail. And, and there'd be eight or ten different topics in this hour-long um, program. And then back at the, en- at the end of the show, he would tie it back into the original topic. James Burke was his name and, and, and was just, there were actually three different iterations of connections, connections one, connection two, connections three. And absolutely some of my very favorite times as a kid was watching connections. Um, and I've actually tried to introduce my daughter to it. She just can't latch on to it near as well as what her old dad <laughs> had, had the interest of. So on that topic of correlation versus causation, um, this, this research um, by this insurance study group says that investigators collected data on traffic crashes and traffic volume, et cetera, et cetera. The study was from 2009 to 2019, covered 11 states, five who had legalized, six who hadn't. And, they, and frankly, the statistics were all over the place. Colorado had the largest jump in the number of crashes. California, the smallest. Nevada's rate went down. Come on, that so, doesn't fit with the narrative. So, well, right. And, and so it literally says here, this study is one that, that determined correlation, not causation. And, here, and here's the issue. 
with alcohol, you, you know, you can you can measure somebody's blood alcohol and go, okay, that's how much alcohol they have in them. And and with THC, it's a little bit harder. And there are so many different, um, gosh, uh, every every strain. I don't know how many strains of marijuana are currently on the market. I know if you go into any dispensary in Oklahoma, you'll find 30, 40, 50 of them. So that's just here. That's what we're growing here in Oklahoma because it has to be grown here to be sold legally here. I, I have no idea how many different strains there are. And I don't know how you study all of those and come up with anything comprehensive and say, okay, now we know exactly what's going on here. Or am I just whistling Dixie? No, that's, that's pretty well straight up. All right. So that is, um, it is an interesting topic. And, you know, I was asked earlier how I was going to vote. I, I, I never tell people how I'm going to vote. And, and I'll tell you, uh, I think Chip makes some interesting arguments. And Chip is in favor of adult use, does not like this bill. Those are not mutually exclusive positions to Correct. be held. Correct. And so, you know, Rusty's predicting it goes down by 12 points. Nah, I think that would be, that would be shocking to me. Um, I think it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a runaway like medical was. I, I'm not going to predict whether it'll pass or not. Do you want to take a, sh- a flyer predicting if it'll pass or not? Don't blame you. All right, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we'll change the topic. I want to ask the doctor about vitamin D. Because I had a fascinating conversation with an internationally known expert on that topic. He's spoken before the United Nations about vitamin D and its treatment for long COVID. Hmm. We'll talk more about that on Sunshine Care Health and Wellness. After the news, you're listening to 1023 KRMG. Welcome back to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness here on 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. I'm Russell Mills. The phone number, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation today, is 918-460-5764, 918-460-KRMG. And uh, you can also text us at 70123. Just remember to please type KRMG at the beginning of your message so it goes to the right radio station. All right, I said before the break, uh, we were going to chat a little bit about um, vitamin D. Uh, we, we are still getting text questions about cannabis, so we'll, we'll go ahead and, and knock that out first. Um, texter at 70123 says, uh, people who choose um, marijuana over alcohol, do people choose marijuana over alcohol? Don't folks just use both? Wow. Um, I don't, that, I don't know that there's any studies on that either, doctor, but anecdotally, what, what's been your experience? Do some people put down the booze and pick up the pot or vice versa? I, there, there is no set prescribed rule on the answer to that question. It kind of sounds like a little bit of a generalization being made uh, that, that may or may not be appropriate. Uh, I know people that uh, use cannabis that don't use alcohol. I know people that use alcohol that don't use cannabis. I know people that use both. I know people that use neither. Uh, I know people that, uh, uh, that, that take prescription medications that, to treat the things that people uh, use cannabis for. I know people that use cannabis uh, and take no prescription medications because they don't like the way prescription medications work. Uh, I know people with, with brown hair. I know people with gray hair. I know people with blonde hair. <laughs> and me, he left the people with no hair out. All right, so... I didn't want to step on any toes. I, what about the combination? I, I would think 
that those two substances might exacerbate some of the worst um, possible side effects of one another, like doing both at the same time might not be a good plan. It, it, if they're done so responsibly, then, then yes, I think they could probably be used concurrently. Here's the thing. They work on different chemical systems within our brain. You know, all of these things that we talk about are, are working on different chemicals in our brain. Uh, and and we, we know what those chemicals are. We're doing a pretty good job of getting to where we have an understanding of the different chemistries that are involved with pharmaceuticals, with non-pharmaceuticals, with natural things. And I'm sure that the, the, the depth is not near as much as, as what is really there in, in truth. Uh, but alcohol and cannabis work on different systems within our brain. Um, so there's that. All right. So... Getting back to this vitamin D topic, so I had a really interesting um, conversation with with a doctor. He's a retired surgeon, and he he basically teaches people. Says he was a, a biochem major. That's that's his wheelhouse. At where yeah, and and he is a big proponent of vitamin D and is touting it as a possible um, treatment. It's a, not a cure, but a possible treatment for long COVID. Um, when we were discussing this during the break, I got the the impression you're not a, not a huge fan, not really believing that 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 the research is is, I guess, in yet on that. I think it's a valid subject to ask the question. You know, if if you really want to get down to it, how many different things have were were, were thrown out just completely into the abyss of hey, I wonder if this would make COVID easier and better. Okay, you you may remember. Uh, you know, there was ivermectin was was one. There was just all sorts of other different hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, uh, fluvoxamine. You know, and and there were just these different things looking to see if it makes a difference. You know, and and this hard part about long COVID is, it, it we don't even know what the heck how to even define long COVID and what all of the things are that are involved with long COVID. We've only been messing with this for three years. You know, that, that is not what one could, would consider a lifetime in, in terms of medical uh, investigation and, and the science behind looking at all of this stuff. We're just barely beginning to scratch the surface of what long COVID is and how it affects things, you know, and, and anything at all having to do with any of these issues. So, you know, we're, we're, we're still trying to figure out what the heck long COVID is. You know, are, are there things that vitamin D is, is going to, to have an impact on, on long COVID? I don't know. You know, obviously, yes, there are people out there that seem to think that it is uh, of benefit. Um, I, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for some good studies. So jury's out as far as you're concerned. As far as I'm concerned, the, the jury's out. You know, so, what, what I don't know is how much more vitamin D does in our body than what medical science has proven to us that vitamin D does. Which is what? Because he, what he was telling me was at least 50% of the population in the United States is vitamin D deficient. And essentially what he says is, you know, we used to be an agrarian society. We used to go outside to hang our clothes on the laundry line. We used to go outside and work. We used to spend time running around in the park and, and playing outside. I know I did when I was a kid. We're, we're now increasingly an indoors population and not getting the vitamin D that we would normally get from the sun, which is your best source. There aren't many sources, very few sources of vitamin D in our diet. Some fatty fishes. 
But I don't, I'm not a fish guy, so I'm not going to get any that way. What does vitamin D deficiency do to us? Well, vi- vitamin, what, as I said, the, the, the medical science has shown me that vitamin D deficiency is associated with rickets which is a developmental bone disease that used to be a real big deal. Uh, and and you know, people that have rickets actually have a whole lot of troubles. But we have not seen significant problems with rickets here in the United States for one primary reason, and that's because we began a fortification process with vitamin D here in the U.S. back many years ago when they discovered what vitamin D is and, you know, what its deficiency causes. Do you know where where you receive supplements of vitamin D other than from the sunshine above? Uh, Milk. Moo juice. Okay, vitamin... Milk has been fortified with vitamin D for many moons. And it has significantly reduced the incidence of this developmental bone disease. Now, the hard part is, is that most people, as they get older, do they drink as much milk as they did when they were kids? No. Women tend to drink less milk and dairy products than men. That's one of the reasons why osteoporosis is a little bit bigger impact on women than men. Okay? So, a a fortification process is, is a good thing. Here's where I have been taught, and, and it may be that my teaching and education is, is too old for, for the new science and the new medicine, is that vitamin D is one of three fat-soluble vitamins. And it's actually a hormone, right? Mm. That's the way he described it to me. He said it's not actually a mineral no, it's it, not it's, a substance. It's the it's a hormone that the body makes when it's when the skin is subjected to direct sunlight. Correct. Well, yes, and and we're, we're, uh, anyway, um, now you got me flustered, dude. <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, I mean, it it kind of makes sense if the body's producing it because of the sunlight. I mean, it's it's not something that we are again taking in via our food. It's something that the sun shines on your skin, your body produces this stuff. And and so the question is, if we're not getting enough sunlight and half of us are vitamin D deficient, does taking it in pill form, taking the, the little, little capsules of it actually benefit us? Or are we, you know, because it's certainly cheap and ubiquitous. You can get it anywhere. It's possible to overdo it. That's that's what I'll say. You know, I have my own opinions about vitamin D. Um, I, I I would love to to eat my shoe when somebody can come in and say, "Well, Doctor Simmons, here here's here's what it actually does. Here's more information on it." Um, but I have my opinions on vitamin D. Um, that's, All right, that's that. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll we'll see what else is on the board when we come back for break. We're going to take a quick time out. If uh, Crystal can play the music. Crystal, could you play the music for us, please? Thank you. Yeah, we do need to take a quick time out. We'll be back with more of Sunshine Care Health and Wellness coming up on 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. Oh, 
Welcome back to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness here on 1023 KRMG, Tulsa's News and Talk. My name is Russell Mills. Do appreciate you tuning in this morning. We've had some interesting chats and some interesting questions. We do have a caller on the line. Matthew is calling in from Coweta. Uh, Matthew, you wanted to talk about some research on genetics, I think. I, I, I guess we'll take a flyer. How can we help you this morning? Yeah, so in China, they did an experiment on uh, twin uh, children, and they edited the genes to be aid-resistant. And what they found was that it increased the intelligence um, of the children when they were um, born. My biggest question is basically on ethics of this. It's not so much that we don't have the technology to do it or, you know, use CRISPR-type technology to figure this out, but... Is the ethics behind it something that would either A, hold a society like a Western society back um, compared to somebody that would do it regardless? Because it's not something that the world would do overall or everybody's going to follow the same lines. And if that's so, are we being too ethically concerned on something that scientifically we're able to, con- you know, cross those boundaries and confirm that these are things that would be a positive net benefit for humanity? Is that a bad idea? more so than a good idea type of thing. Wow. That's that's some deep stuff there, Matthew. Okay, well, Dr. Dono? So the, the, the two things that instantly come into my mind is that uh, when, when we start talking about the ethics of gene editing and such, is, uh, you know, the, the, we're in the wild, wild west. You know, there are no rules. There are no uh, guidance in, on, on how to answer that question. Um, you know, here's the thing. We, we know of a number of different uh, genetic diseases. We know of a number of different maladies that affect us that do have a genetic component to them. Um, and the more we learn about them, the more we're learning, you know what? Hey, we could maybe make some simple changes that might provide for better life, might provide a big impact. Um, and, and I'm actually, uh, you know, the, the thought that immediately comes into my head, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of vetting this as I go, is a, a scene from uh, a, a movie um, that was uh, portrayed by uh, Leonard Nimoy, who was playing Spock. And as he was dying in the reactor room, he says, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. You know, and I, I, I'm, I'm, that's what comes into my head when, when you start talking about this uh, ability to edit genes. You know, two, two that, that come into my mind immediately. One is uh, uh, sickle cell anemia. Okay, we know what causes sickle cell anemia. We know where um, the, the genetic change is. And actually, sickle cell anemia was a genetic mutation that imparted immunity against malaria. So it was actually an adaptive gene mutation that happened over generations in Africa that uh, provided, a, it imparted an immunity to malaria. Well, if you've ever known anyone who had sickle cell anemia and, and know what a painful crisis it can cause, it's really doing more trouble to us now than the ability to be immune to malaria because we don't really have a whole lot of malaria here in the U.S. And yeah, we now have quinine. So we've we've learned that, you know, we actually could go in and make an impact on the red blood cells and the hemoglobin of someone with sickle cell disease by inserting the proper gene into their system to be able to do that. 
Okay, so that's the benefit that comes out of that. But as with everything in life, you hear me talk about this regularly, everything in life is risk versus benefit. You know, and the question then becomes, what's the risk of doing that? Okay, and the hard part is we don't know. You know, what's the risk of inserting a new gene into someone's uh, genome, into someone's genetics? We don't totally know. We think we know. We think all we're doing is good. But I think they, saw, they thought the same thing when they made that Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> you know, they thought we were doing something good, but you, know, you, you make some of those velociraptors and other things that, that don't play so well with others. You know, another genetic disease that we know of is Huntington's disease. Okay, hunting, and very fortunately, we don't see that very much. But Huntington's disease comes about because of a simple three base pair repeat that uh, kind of gets, uh, it basically get, get, gets, in, gets on, on the hamster wheel and keeps running. You know, and, and the more repeats of this that are in, in your genetics, the, the worse the Huntington's disease is going to be. What are those? What kind of what is Huntington's disease? Like it, what are the symptoms of it? It, it is a, a neurological degenerative disease. Okay. okay? Um, Woody Guthrie is, is the most uh, notable, famous person that had Huntington's disease. And I may have just pulled that completely out of the wrong end and, and may be completely wrong. But I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain that Woody Guthrie had Huntington's disease. Um, and it, it's just a, a, a degenerative neurological disorder um, that, uh, that, that does cause trouble. So, you know, they, they've learned that they can go in and, and actually edit out that little three base pair repeat that gets repeated 100 or 200 times uh, in the middle of basically the, the, the paragraph sentence uh, on how to make stuff. Um, and it, when you can edit that out, then you can show an improvement and get rid of some of the symptoms of Huntington's disease. So the ethics of it all is, you know, are, are we doing harm or are we providing benefit? You know, and honestly, with each, it, it's going to be a case-by-case discussion that's going to take place as to what's the benefit that's being provided to this one individual, what's the benefit that's being provided when we're dealing with this one individual disease uh, versus what's the potential downside to all of that. And, and I don't have the answer to that. You know, I, I love that we, that, that we can even have this discussion to ask that question. Which would not have happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean, we're just now getting to the point where we can even can do things with CRISPR and, 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 and make these. So a uh, question, though, it, it, can you edit somebody's genes at, that's an adult? Or is this something that has to be done prenatally? Or how, how does that work? No, it, 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 it can be done in adults on certain cell lines that have the ability to turn over regularly. Okay, you know, if we're talking about um, editing the hemoglobin gene in someone who has sickle cell anemia, okay, that, that's actually pretty easily doable because your body remakes hemoglobin about every 90 to 120 days. You're that's, replacing that's, all of your red blood cells. That's how long a red blood cell lives. So at the end of the life, lifespan of that red blood cell, it, it goes and gets recycled and rebuilt. You know, so if, if we can make it to where new hemoglobin is being built properly rather than with the sickle cell hemoglobin, 
You know, yes, that's something you can insert that in right now. And, and every new red blood cell that's made with new hemoglobin that comes on later is going to have the new stuff rather than the old stuff. So, yes, it, it is possible to do this in, in, in adults. You know, yes, it's possible to do this in, in children. It's possible to do this prenatally. So, and I think what, what Matthew's getting to is, you know, is Western medicine going to fall behind because maybe folks in, in China or a similar culture might have, might not blush as much as experimenting on humans? And I, you know, I don't know that we can, I don't know that we can definitively say that, nope. but um, it's, it is an interesting question. And Matthew, how did you even get interested in this topic? Um, I just love science, man. In general, um, I think that I think that he's right that it is more of a the the good of one uh, or the good of many outweighs the good of one person. I think that's a perfect line because I think that if we don't do it, we might be in a crisis where we have to do this in order to survive. For instance, like radiation poisoning and what it does to like the canines that they found in Chernobyl. Like what kind of effects it might have on us. For instance, if there was a lack of an atmosphere because our magnetic pole slipped and we're hit by solar rays or something like that. There's a thousand reasons why like the technology that could save us is also dangerous of course but to not tread through it at all just because of any bias in my opinion is could be a mistake. Yep. All right. Well, Matthew, thank you. Good call. Interesting topic. And I imagine we'll discuss it more in the future. Thanks for listening to Sunshine Care Health and Wellness. I'm Russell Mills, and we'll see you right here next Sunday at 9. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.